Revelation chapter number 7, book of the Revelation chapter number 7. This is our 17th message in the book of the Revelation. Our 17th message. Man, it's went by fast. Um, but we got a long ways to go. So we got plenty of time to get there um, unless the Lord comes and then we'll see it. So thank the Lord for it. Amen. I'm looking for Jesus to split the eastern sky any day now. And I'm ready, ready to go. Amen. So this is our series entitled The Revelation. And it's been a journey as we've preached line upon line and precept upon precept. And um, last week we learned about the Pauls in the midst of the tribulation. The Pauls in the tribulation. As the Lord led his angels to stop the four winds on northeast, west, and south, he stopped those winds, uh, those grueling winds of the tribulation period. He stopped them. I believe, now this is a statement that I cannot solidify this exact moment. I do believe that there's a, um, there's a we know that this book is not written chronological, right? You have to get a chronological Bible in order to see that. But it's not written in chronological order at all. Um, and I, I, you know, one thing I was looking for in my study is um, where's the switch? So there's a switch. We know there's a switch, but I think, I believe this has something to do with it. I believe right, right before this, um, <clears throat> right before this chapter, I, I believe this is more this is more on the latter part of the tribulation. Um this this scene here. These both of these scenes that we've just went through last week. Um but I believe it's towards the latter part. But there is there is a pause in the middle of the in, in the tribulation here. But I can't say that and solidify it. Okay, I understand that because the seventh seal hasn't been done. But the seventh seal doesn't matter, okay? I mean I understand there's still seven trumpets, there's still seven vials, but they could have been first. We don't know. Well, they, well, they, they couldn't have been first because we know that. That chapter 6 is when it started, okay? We do know that. But, but nonetheless, that's just a little tidbit. I, I just, I, there's nothing I can just say as, a, as solid along those lines. But I will say that we did see last week as God stopped the four winds for blowing on the tribulation time. He stopped them, and he did it in time to seal his 144,000 preachers. So we do know that there is a something. The reason why I'm saying what I'm saying about that, though, is because there is here in our passage tonight, there are some that are being saved, and I'm not going to jump ahead. But if I keep talking, I am going to jump ahead. And so I'll show you in just a little while. But we saw that last week. We saw God sealing the 144,000 Jews, preachers, the only Jehovah Witnesses that are true Jehovah Witnesses. But we're still in the midst of a pause, okay? There's still a pause. I mentioned last week there was two groups. We're on the second group. And uh, we're still in that pause. And God's about to snatch out. God's about to snatch out some of the saved that are in there in that pause. So let's read our passage tonight. You can stand if you're able, and we'll reverence the word of the reading of the word of God. Verse 9, the Bible says of chapter 7, the book of the Revelation. The Bible says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. That's what I was going to title it, but I'm not. Lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation, our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So the God, the God of heaven is still sitting on the throne. So we understand that. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. 
And he said to me, and that might be me, by the way, verse number 13, um, that might be me asking who those are. You know, it might be you. Yeah. I mean, you don't know. But and I, and I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Thank you for standing, Lord. We need your help tonight. I need your help tonight. And Lord, I bless your holy name. For all that you've done, Lord, and I ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, to please, Lord, help me tonight to preach the word of God, Lord, and and just be who you want me to be, Lord. Help me, God, as I preach. Lord, help your people to hear. And, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. And so, so as the Lord led these angels last week to stop the four winds, in the midst of that, pause. the rest of this chapter show us clearly that it is the very nature of God to save sinners. It's the very nature of God. It's His, it's his essence to save sinners. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's God to save sinners. It's a godly thing to save sinners. You and I never be able to save sinners. But there's a God in heaven who's able to this day and will always be able to save sinners. Sinners, uh, his bride is already with him. Though, why should he save more? Well, well, that's that's just him, right? That's just him. Why he's already got the bride? You understanding that? His bride is already in heaven. Why should he save more? These people are not the part of the bride of Jesus Christ. They're not part of the bride at all. But that's just who he is, uh, is he wants to save sinners. Uh, that's just who he is. He, in, in the midst of his wrath, uh, he's still remembering mercy. In the midst of his, in the, in that like the Lord, I mean, First Timothy chapter one and verse fifteen says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, uh, in whom I am chief." He came to save sinners. Uh, the Bible says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, uh, but His long suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, uh, but all come to repentance." Uh, it's His will that all come to repentance. Uh, the Bible says. Uh, um, it says it's not. He's not willing that any should perish. God, God's will does not always get done. If it did, then all would be saved. And the Bible says in First Timothy chapter number two and verse number three, the Bible says, "For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the." knowledge of the truth. It is His will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is not His will that any should perish. And that's just who He is. And the Bible says very clearly that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why He came. He came to save the lost. I'm glad He came to save me. And you thank the Lord that's what He desires to do. He desires to save sinners. Um, We got it mixed up. We got it messed up. Uh, We make it so hard to be saved. We make it so hard to be saved. There's no verse in the Bible that tells me you got to say a prayer to be saved. You ever heard anybody say, I believe I got saved when I stood up from the altar and started walking down? You know why? Because they believed at that point. They understood their condition and they understood who He was and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they got saved. And that's why it works that way. You don't have to come and confess all your sins in front of God. That confession in Romans chapter 10 is confessing that you're saved. Understand and read the Bible in context. It's confessing that you're saved. I mean, sure, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and 
cleanse you uh, from all unrighteousness. Uh, but friend, I'm telling you is that we got a God in heaven uh, who came to this earth to save me and you. It's the only reason He came. It's not a salvation from hell. It's a salvation to get him, get you back to the Father. That's what it is. And friend, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Is that not what it says? And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It did not say anywhere in there that I needed to confess my sins. Am I right? I know this is against normal theology. I know this is against probably half the brethren, but that's not what it says. It says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Uh, the Bible says, in, and this is none of this in my notes. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter number 15, I think it is. Uh, um, let me turn there and read you a few verses. The Bible says this. Uh, it's very, very clear uh, on the scriptures uh, on what it takes for you to be saved. Uh, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, uh, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. Saved, uh, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Uh, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, uh, according to the Scriptures. Uh, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Uh, the Bible says that He died and He rose. Uh, and if you believe those things, you believe He's God of all and He can save you, He will save you. Uh, believe, believe. That's what it takes to be saved. I mean, why does it say, so whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? It doesn't say, whosoever shall confess their sins. It talks about confessing, and I might miss a verse somewhere, I don't know. But it talks about confessing your sins after you're saved. All you have to realize is confess you're a sinner. You've got to confess you're a sinner. Because there has to be first a realization of who you are and then a realization of who He is. That's what we have to do. Man, I'm, I'm getting out of here. But let me just tell you something. Here's what we have here. He'll, he'll, uh, I've, never, I've never known God in heaven ever to turn one person away. God desires your family to be saved. He desires that 100%. God came to save sinners. And that's what He came for and He'll not turn one away. Amen. I'm thankful for that. I'm going to preach on this thought. The mercy within the wrath. The mercy within the wrath. Notice what he says in these verses. Uh, notice number one uh, in verse 9 through 12. We'll go through them. There's a company uh, that's obtaining mercy. There's a company uh, that is obtaining mercy. We see another host of people here. Uh, another big host. Uh, um, but rather not only 144,000, but this host is innumerable. And this time they are completely innumerable. Um, remember last time when the saints stood before God? Was that, a numerable, was that a numerable number? No, it was an innumerable number. No man could number it. No man could tell you how many were saved. Uh, once again, it blows Calvinists out of the water. Uh, um, friend, I'm telling you is that what happened here is there is uh, a straight reference to tell us that Jesus came uh, to save sinners uh, and He came to save an innumerable amount of sinners. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times I've probably said uh, from this pulpit uh, that there's going to be more going to hell than there is to heaven. Uh, and I cannot tell you you if that's true or not uh, because there's an innumerable amount and if Christ came to save sinners then I believe he's going to save sinners I believe the problem is not Christ but the problem is the church uh, not getting the gospel out enough as we should uh, the problem is never Christ uh, he has come he's perfect he's holy he's just uh, and what he has come for is to save sinners uh, but we have not told sinners like we should right Amen. I'm not coming to fuss tonight. This is a blessing. Uh, but I tell you, this blows Calvinists out of the water. It's innumerable. It's innumerable. These are born again Christians. This multitude is. This company. They're born again. I, I want to look in this company for just a moment. Uh, I want you to look at the character 
of this company. Notice in verse 9, the Bible says, After this I beheld, lo, a great multitude, which no man can number of all nations, kindred people, and tongues, stood before the Lamb, before the, um, before the throne, and before the Lamb. Uh, and so, so as John looks at this company of people here, uh, he tells us a few things about them. Uh, um, subpoint to my subpoint. Uh, and he tells them that he gives us the statistics uh, of this company, the statistics within uh, um, this company. He says uh, that it's a multitude which no man can number. It's a multitude which no man can number. John describes this multitude uh, as a great number. Uh, and what a wonderful thing. Uh, I mean, what a wonderful thing. Uh, what a wonderful image of the very grace of God that this is. Uh, in the midst of wrath, God is remembering mercy. Uh, and God is taking back to the dear man of God, Habakkuk. Uh, and he's saying, hey, I'm remembering mercy again. Uh, and he remembered it again. Don't you know, uh, as we described earlier, God is in the saving business. By the way, it's all about Him again. Amen. We can look throughout all of Scripture and find just that. We could go all the way back to Exodus chapter number 12 and we could find in Exodus chapter 12, according to some research, they say there was about 3 million people that were in Egypt at that time. And as the death angel passed by, friend, all it took was blood over the doorpost and they got saved. They got saved by the blood of a lamb. They got saved. And don't you know that everything in the Old Testament only pictured what was coming ahead? It was what they had and they got saved. We could look over in the book of Jonah and they said there was about a million people in Nineveh that day. And all of the city got saved. Every single one of them. From the kings to the priests to the laymen. Every one of them got saved. And so we see a great multitude. There's five, three million in Egypt uh, um, that get saved because they put the blood on the door. Uh, um, We got uh, one million in Nineveh um, that get saved because of the preaching uh, of the blood, because the preaching of the blood of the Lamb. Uh, And then we could go on uh, and find that in Pentecost uh, um, when Peter is preaching, uh, um, he's preaching the gospel, by the way, uh, and he's preaching to those those people there uh, and 3,000 get saved. A few a few times later, there's five thousand that get saved. That's a lot of people that get saved, and God is in the saving business. But even more amazing than that is the story of all of those things. From Egypt to now, they all came by the way of the blood. From Egypt all the way to now. You could go back even farther to Adam. He came by the blood. Why didn't God kill Adam when he sinned? Because he made a way for him. He gave a lamb. Right? I mean, from all the way down, they came by the way of the blood. Uh, um, those numbers are some astounding numbers, but I'm sure in it uh, um, that overall sense of this thing, uh, um, this would not amount to the number that we see in front of us. Uh, we see a great multitude which no man could number. Uh, a man could have numbered the people in Egypt. A uh, man could have numbered the people in Nineveh. A man could number the people in Pentecost and the preaching after. Uh, but man cannot number this number. Uh, um, there is a great number. I believe it exceeds three million. Man can number Egypt, but no man can number this. We understand that over a few pa- over a few pages, a few chapters, we find that there is a um, what ten thousands upon ten thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand, and so that's a lot. That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, um, but but it's a great number. Praise God for His salvation tonight. Man, y'all with me tonight? Amen. Hey friend, there's a, there is a view, there's statistics within this company that, that John gives us. Then there is a scope within this company. It goes on and it says, Which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Um, here's a company of people. They're not divided by a race. They're not divided by language. Um, they're not divided by any other thing. The gospel is just as good for any of them. This is revelation preaching, friend. 
I mean, this is tribulation preaching. All we know is that these are Gentiles. That's all we know. We don't know anything else. We don't know how black they are, how white they are. We know none of those things. All we know is that they're Gentiles. And they have not heard the gospel. We know those things in the first none, uh, first uh, few verses of this chapter. Uh, um, God dealt with the Jews and now He extends His grace uh, um, to the Gentile nations of the world. Uh, isn't that the very promise of God? Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, um, for it is the power of God and uh, the salvation uh, unto every man that believe, everyone that believeth uh, unto the... Jew first and then to the Greek. And also to the Greek. That's the Gentile. And so, so God's, uh, He's marking it down. He said, you were told of these days. Uh, it was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's why the 144,000 are before this. I believe that. Amen. Um, but I tell you what, friend. I praise the Lord that gospel can reach all. Amen. Y'all, y'all, y'all know as well as I do, we have, preju- we have prejudices. And we, I mean, we judge people by the color of their skin. We judge people by the ethnic background. We judge people by where they live. I mean, we judge people in all of those ways, how they were raised. We judge people in every way. But however, when God looks at a man, uh, and when God looks at them, He looks and He sees a sinner uh, in need of a Savior. Uh, and that's how you and I ought to get. We ought to get in the view of God. Uh, we ought to look in His perspective. Uh, and I promise you the whole world would be a different place. Uh, if we look through the eyes of God, uh, He will save any soul uh, that will come to Him by faith. I praise His holy name for that tonight, friend. And not just for the Baptist. It's not just for the Pentecostal. It's not just for the Catholic uh, or any other denomination you want to put in there. Uh, if the gospel is correctly preached, uh, any man can be saved. Any man. Any person in any denomination in any place uh, can be saved. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, It is the whole job of the whole church to tell the whole gospel to the whole world. It is our job to do those things. And I'm thankful it's a great multitude of all tongues, nations, kindreds, and people. Amen. There is a scope. That's the scope. It's very wide, wouldn't you say? I don't know how many nationalities there are, but there's a bunch. I should know, but the Stallman just told me, but there's a bunch. Then we see the synopsis of the uh, of within this company. The Bible says that they stood before the throne and before the Lamb. They stood before. Some people look at this and multitude and this people, and they see the church. People believe that. Understand? People believe that this is the church. Well, the multitude is not the church. First of all, they're standing. Revelation chapter four and verse number four. We're seating. Right? We're seated. There's, there's seats there. That's where we are. Second, this crowd was saved out of the great tribulation. Got to be in something to come out of something. Is that correct? So the wrath, the church, the church is safe, safe from the wrath to come. According to Scripture. According to Scripture, this is not... Nicology. This is this is this is scripture. This is the bib the Bible, bibliology, and that's what this is. We we got in First Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter one uh, and verse number ten. Let me let me read those verses to you. Everybody, all right? But all right, praise the Lord. The Bible says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Who's us? Paul's speaking about himself, so I'd say that's the church. Amen. And so there is that. Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 9. I'm just giving you some scripture references if anybody ever asks. We're learning in this Revelation study too. We're not just preaching through it just to preach through it. We want to learn. Revelation, I mean, Romans chapter number 5, verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We shall be saved. So we understand this is wrath taking place here, right? It's the wrath of God falling upon sinful man. That's what it is. And and the Bible is very clear on these things. And this could be the church. Also, some people believe 
as crazy as it is that this is the 144,000. Some people believe that. I'm just hitting it out of the water just while I got the chance, amen? Um, the number is indefinite. Let me just say that. I think that's all it takes, right? That proves it's not 144,000. You can't say it's 144,000 and find this an indefinite number. You just cannot do that because it's absolutely contrast to one another. This is not the 104,000. What a blow to Calvinism, though. Thank the Lord. I tell you, personally, I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm going to... Just just hear what I believe. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6, okay? And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Let's go to the next one. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. That's why I believe this also. That's who I believe these are. I believe this puts us to the latter part of the, of, the, of the tribulation. But check this out. You notice the words in there? I, and, and, and I, I've sought counsel on this today, okay? I, I, I've asked about this too. I, I believe this is the exact same people group that were under the altar. This innumerable number is those which are under the altar. 100% convinced on that. But think about this thing. Think about the law of the harvest. The Bible says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'd send forth labors. So there's a harvest. Why do we need a harvest and why do we need labors? Labors are there for the purpose of winning souls, right? A harvest is something that needs to be plucked. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. We, as the church, were the main harvest. And then there's always, always, there's always going to be gleanings from the harvest. You cut corn with a combine, you're going to find that there's still corn on the ground after you get done. If you pick it up, it's just as good as the corn that was just in the combine. That's the gleanings, right? Ruth was doing what in the field? Gleaning. She wasn't picking the good harvest. She was getting what was left over. There are some things that the Bible tells us, and I believe these are the gleanings. Amen. Amen. Just a little Bible study, okay? Just a little Bible study. The, uh, the, these are they. 100%. Um, one thing I want you to notice, okay? Can we do a little Bible study timeout for just a second? Check out verse number 9 of chapter 6. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The what? What does it say? Souls. Whoa. Souls? John is, John is seeing souls. John is not seeing bodies. John, you say, well, what are, what, what are you talking about? Well, this is the only thing I come up with. These are not glorified yet. They have not been glorified. Why are they given robes? Why are they not given crowns? Why are they not given any of those things? Well, I believe they were just simply covered by the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us the imputed righteousness is the only thing that's covering them. That's the only reason they're in heaven. You know why their bodies can't be in heaven? Because they ain't glorified yet. The The church... Is glorified. We have glorified bodies. We are perfect and we're just like Jesus Christ. We have already been through the judgment seat of Christ. We've been glorified through the fire, right? Amen. Everybody with me? Yeah, amen. Through the fire, we've been glorified. They have not been. So, so you say, preacher, are they just going to stay souls in heaven? Well, when will they be glorified then? Well, good question. Let's look. Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. Here's what I believe. I believe they're being glorified. And Satan has been cast out, verse number 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus for the word of God. Is that not the same people? Can we agree on that? Okay, the souls. And for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had his received his mark upon their foreheads. So clearly they were in the tribulation. And his image marked upon their foreheads, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ 
a thousand years. Therefore, they have bodies. They're being glorified. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. Those are the dead that will be resurrected, which is what? This is the first resurrection. They will be resurrected and judged at the great white throne of judgment. These are the dead. Okay? Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So we just read that. We just read that and we've seen that. The second death hath on such the second death had no power. So we see those things. Now I'm not going to get into those verses just yet because I, I can't even just explain those verses just 100%. But I'll tell you the fact is they're glorified. So we see the bodies. We see the bodies. We see here that they're just souls. They're in heaven. How do you explain that? I can't. But John saw souls. And so all I'm saying, our, our flesh is not saved, right? There's the justification. They've been justified through the blood of the Lamb. They've been justified in the, in the tribulation. They've been sanctified. Sure, 100% they've been sanctified. It was a continual process throughout tribulation. But they've not been glorified. They'll be glorified for the final, the second, the new Jerusalem. They'll be glorified for those days. Amen. They're given the right robe of his righteousness, imputed righteousness in Jesus Christ. So that was my first point. And so we see that there is, we looked at the character of this company. Secondly, I want you to notice simply the cheering of this company. Look at verse number 10. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation, our God, which sitteth upon the throne unto the Lamb. So these saints lift their voices. They lift their voices and, 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 and a means of praise to the Lord, uh, to the Redeemer. For his redemption. They're thankful to be redeemed. What does that tell us? We all lift our voices. Because he redeemed us. He redeemed us. They, they know that they're in heaven for one reason and for one reason only. Uh, and they're there because of the grace of God uh, and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why they're there. They praise Him for His grace. Uh, they praise Him for His mercy during the wrath. Uh, and they praise Him for His salvation. I tell you, beloved, on, on any day, uh, if there was a reason for praise, it is the grace of God uh, and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's why we need to praise Him. That's why we ought to uplift our voice to Him. Life gets rough. Things change, but He never does. If you can't worship about another thing, we should be able to praise, shout, sing, and testify at the goodness and grace and salvation of God. We should be able to do that. Amen. The cheering of this company. Then I want you to notice the compelling of this company. Verse 11. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on the faces and worship, saying, say, um, uh, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, and power, and might be under our God forever and ever. Amen. So when the when these angels uh, heard, uh, um, they're around the throne, and they, they see the, 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 the worshiping, and they see the praise of this company, uh, um, they join in their voices with them to praise them. Everybody with me tonight? You listening? You listening? Okay, let's listen to the message, okay? Uh, here we have the shouts of this entire company. Can you just imagine the millions and the millions of voices gathering together and joined together in praise? Can you just imagine millions of voices? We're going to be in the Mighty Men's Conference this week, and I promise you it's going to be a lot of loud noises. It's going to be people praising the Lamb forever. And, uh, and now, 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 now the angels lift up their voices, though, and they just say, Amen. I mean, the, the, they're, they're agreeing. They're agreeing. They're agreeing to what is being said by those who have been saved. Uh, and then they add on this sevenfold blessing uh, or sevenfold play, praise right after that uh, of glory to God. And they say, uh, um, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might. And they say those things and they add that to the, um, to the amen. They say, thanks be unto God. They say, amen, let it be. Uh, um, praise the Lord. All of those things. But this is what we can praise Him for. Uh, we can praise Him for His thanksgiving. We can praise Him for His blessing, glory, wisdom, um, honor, power, and might. We can praise Him for those things. 
We can praise Him for those things. And the angel cannot praise God for salvation. They can't praise God for salvation. They can't praise God for salvation one bit. Uh, The angels can't do that for they have never known sin. They've never known sin, but these angels have seen the love of God in action. They've seen the love of God in action as He went about saving lost people uh, and lost humans. They marveled uh, as they watched their Creator uh, praising the Lord uh, of all. And they watched Him on the cross of Calvary uh, um, die because His love for sinners. Uh, um, they watched Him and they have witnessed the random acts uh, of spontaneous praise uh, as peoples, as sinners got saved. Uh, and down here on you say, preacher, that ain't nothing. And the Bible says that they praise Him. Uh, if they, that they, they lift up their voice in praise every time a sinner gets saved. Uh, Luke chapter 15 verse 7 if you wanted to ask. Uh, um, but I'm telling you, as they said we can't praise Him uh, for His salvation for us, but we can for y'all. Amen. They say amen. Let it be. Praise the Lord. The company obtaining uh, mercy. It's 833. I'm watching clocks you ain't got to. The second I want you to notice the Christ operating mercy. The Christ operating mercy. They're saved. Verse 13, 14, we're going to go through them. They're saved. They watch John. They watch this. John gets on and John watches this amazing scene as one of the elders approach him. And ask John what this is. Ask John about the identity of these people. Ask John, who, who are these? John just simply says, you know, I don't, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know us. Thou know us, he says. The, the, he said, I don't have no clue who they are. But you can tell me who they are. Who are they? And so, so I want you to notice the ministry, the ministry. He, he, he just, he just, I want you to notice the ministry that's shown in their salvation. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, and I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out. Of great tribulation. These people have been living through the horrors of the tribulation. They, they, but, but even during that time of wrath uh, and judgment, there's an amazing light that has shone in the midst of it. Uh, and there's mercy that is shown, and there, the boundless grace of God reaches down uh, to a huge multitude on this earth and saves their ever loving souls. Amen. God's in the ministry of saving souls. Amen, friend. I want you to notice the means. The me- His means of their salvation. Christ's means. We're talking about Christ operating mercy. His means of their salvation. The Bible says it washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I mean, these people were saved the same way people have always been saved. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I've been told a few things, but, but I, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. It's nothing you could have done to get there. It's all what he done to get there. Amen. And this, this simple statement reveals a, a profound truth. God only knows one means of salvation. I mean, it tells us very clearly and have and washed their robes. They have been, let's see, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the L, big L lamb. And blood of the lamb. God only knows one means of salvation. And by the way, God does not know the Mormon's view of salvation. He does not know the Catholic's view of salvation. He does not know the Mason's view of salvation. God does not know that view of salvation. The only view of salvation that God knows could be tracked all the way back and before the law was ever mentioned. These people could not depend upon the law, uh, only thing they could depend on was the Lamb. Uh, and hallelujah, friend, I'm thankful whether it was Adam and Eve in the garden, Abel with his sacrifice, uh, Abraham, Abraham and Isaac upon the mountain, uh, um, whatever it was, Israel and the sacrifices of the tabernacle uh, and the temple, uh, um, the salvation in the Old Testament was through the blood of the Lamb. You could never get to heaven without the blood of the Lamb. 
I don't, I do not, I do not care what John MacArthur has to say about it. I do not care how big of a theologian he is. Uh, he is wrong. He is wrong. He is a heretic, uh, and he is wrong about that. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ uh, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, um, there is no other way. Uh, um, there is no plus. Uh, there is no minus to it. Uh, um, it is the blood of Jesus uh, um, that cleanses my soul from a devil's hell. Uh, and friend, I'm telling you this evening, uh, when they shed the blood of an innocent animal. And the sacrifices, all the millions of gallons of blood uh, um, was only to atone uh, for their sins. Uh, It only pleased God for a short season uh, and they would have to do it again. Uh, And friend, I'm telling you, God would send uh, one day and as they were doing that, uh, as they were shedding the blood of those lambs every time, uh, the only thing they were doing uh, is looking ahead uh, um, to a day when God would send the perfect lamb, uh, um, the lamb of God uh, the perfect sacrifice uh, um, that would not just atone for sins uh, or hide them from the very face of God uh, um, but this lamb uh, when he came, uh, when he came to this world, uh, he would come and he would completely take them away, Uh, he would cast them as far as the east is uh, um, from the west Uh, he would would throw them in the sea of forgetfulness, uh, but he would go even farther than that uh, because they'd never be remembered anymore. Hallelujah, what sin are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. And friend, I'm telling you, God would one day send that perfect sacrifice for the Old Testament saints. And those Old Testament saints were were saved by looking forward to Calvary. That's what they were saved by. And when Jesus came and went to the cross, He accomplished what millions of animal sacrifices uh, could only picture. That's it, friend. <laughs> when Jesus dies, uh, He obtained eternal sacrifice uh, for all who will believe in Him. Uh, he obtained it all. Uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, let me turn there. The book of Hebrews in chapter number 9. My favorite book in the Bible probably is the book of Hebrews. My favorite right now is Revelation, but, but, but it is Hebrews, I think. And so um, uh, Hebrews chapter number 9 verse 28 the Bible says so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Uh, Hebrews chapter number uh, chapter number 10 verse 10 by the which uh, will will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ uh, once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice uh, which can never take away sins but this man, uh, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, uh, from his forth expecting to his enemies be made his footstool. Uh, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Uh, he did it. He did it all. And they had to wait. Uh, um, the Old Testament saints, uh, why do you think they had to wait in the resting place? Why do you think they had to wait in Abraham's bosom? Because the blood had not been applied yet. The blood of Jesus had not been applied on the mercy seat. uh, And they were getting mercy down there. But I'm telling you something. The blood hadn't been applied yet. And so Jesus had to go through there. What do you say? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. It'll leave the captivity captive. Well, how'd he do it? It took the blood. The same way it's taken you. You only get through the gates of heaven with the blood applied. You'll never get through there any other way. Uh, and those of us on this side of the cross, however, uh, oh, we're saved. Uh, and we're looking back at what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary uh, and realizing that His death uh, and His resurrection uh, are all that is needed uh, for salvation. Uh, and when we trust Him by faith, we are eternally saved. Eternally saved. Amen, friend. And even in the midst of great tribulation, souls will be eternally uh, saved uh, by the preaching of a simple gospel. And that's it. Amen, friend, for I delivered unto you uh, um, first and also in which I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the description. He was, ru- he was buried and he rose again uh, on the third day according to the scriptures. Amen, friend. 
plus nothing, minus nothing. It's only the blood of Jesus. Amen. I'm thankful for the blood. We see, uh, um, we see the ministry of his ministry of their salvation, his means of their salvation. It's the blood of Jesus. Amen. Then we see the man of their salvation. Notice the last two words of this verse. It says, in the blood of the Lamb. It's him. Amen. It's him. It's always him. It's always going to be him. And if any person ever gets saved, it's always going to take him. No matter if you're at Mountain Valley Baptist Church or if you're in the forest of Peru, it's going to take Jesus Christ. That's all that it's going to take is him. And I'm thankful for the Lamb of God. When he comes, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, and John saw it and wrote it down, that's exactly what he was here for. Is he was coming away to take the sins of the whole world away. To take away the sins of the whole world. And thank God I'm in that midst. Amen. The company obtaining mercy. The Christ operating mercy. Lastly, I'm done. We see the conclusion of this multitude. Verse 15 through 17. We'll go through them. But here's the conclusion of it. Well, where are they? What are they doing? It's two questions I had when I was reading through it. Where are they and what are they doing? Well, firstly, verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God. That answers one of the questions, wouldn't you say? So we see they conclude with a heavenly placement. They conclude with a heavenly placement. There they are. They're in heaven in the very presence of the King of Kings. Their days of suffering and their days of sorrow have now ended uh, and they have arrived in glory and they're no longer separated from the Lord. Uh, They're no longer separated from the Lord by distance. They're no longer separated from the Lord uh, um, by destination. None of those things there were under the altar and now they're on top of it. Uh, They're at the throne of God uh, and there they are, friend. Uh, they're not separated by sin. Uh, they're not separated uh, by time. Uh, they're not separated by any of those things. They are home with Him uh, and they are there to stay. Amen. Amen. Notice where they are. Be- be- because they have been redeemed and cleansed, they're allowed to stand before the very presence of God. It doesn't mean they're ju- glorif- glorified. Their souls were saved and cleansed. Is that what I said? Washed? Do you use that word? Washed their robes? Use a scripture for scripture. Thank the Lord for that. Amen, friend. They're allowed to stand in the very presence of God. Man, this was unheard of. I cannot imagine standing in the very presence of God. Can you? In the temple times... It was a place called the Court of the Gentiles. That's what it was called. And if you do any study on it, you'll find it. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. And in that time, it was the outer court of the tabernacle. It was the outer court there of the temple. And non-Jews were not allowed to go any deeper into the temple. You do any study, you'll find that. They weren't allowed to go in. If they, were not, if they were not Jews, they weren't allowed to go in the temple. God established Jewish first, by the way. He established it for the Jews. It was Moses and his lineage, right? Who were they? Jews. So, so here we have that. And so, so the, the outer court and all those things, they weren't allowed to go any deeper into that place. And, and they, 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 only, they had to stay in the outer court. And so, when Jesus died, the veil was rent. Now, right? It was ripped right down the middle. It was right, ripped, slapped down the middle. And this signified the fact that all men had access, that I had access, that you had access. No man could have had access before. They were called Gentile dogs is all they were. Uh, and friend, I'm telling you, these redeemed Gentiles uh, here are brought into the very presence of God. Their present condition must make Satan upset. 
You say, why would it make Satan upset? Well, they came out of the Great Tribulation. That means they missed him. Satan missed them. He didn't get these. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, these people are in heaven because they were martyred for their faith uh, in Jesus. Uh, and they were martyred for that. And the worst thing uh, um, that Satan could do to these people uh, um, was to kill them. Yeah. Turned out, turned out to be the best thing ever happened to them. Amen. It's the worst thing Jesus, that's the worst thing he could ever do to you, too. Got them out of their pain, their sorrow. Uh huh. Just a promotion. Amen. Thank the Lord. They conclude with a heavenly placement. We're in the very presence of God. They conclude with a hearty pursuit. Now, understand this serve Him day and night, right? And serve him day and night in his temple. They couldn't go into the temple. You think that's why it says that? I think it's probably why it says that. They, they serve him day and night in his temple. Uh, this, this redeemed group of people, this redeemed company is in the very presence of God. And they are at the very um, deliverance of God. They're right there in the hand of God. They're at the calling of God. And they, they will spend their eternity carrying out him as they Serve Him. Worship Him. Sit in His presence. Stand in His presence. Never think for an instant that heaven will be a boring place. We'll not twiddle our thumbs there. We'll not. I mean, we'll not be bored while while eternity just passes by. There'll be nothing boring about up there. You know why I get bored here? Because we don't spend enough time with God. And that's the truth. We, we will be busy serving the Lord there. That's what, if we'll stay busy serving the Lord here, we won't get bored either. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, there'll, there'll be plenty to do in heaven. And I am convinced that just our praise and worship time will be huge. We'll rest from our labors, but we'll not rest from our service to Almighty God. We need to still serve Him. We will still serve Him. Don't quit on God now. Amen. Don't quit on God now. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God that I can serve Him now. Man, what a day. I get to serve Him for eternity. Amen. They conclude with a hearty pursuit. They, they, last night, they, they conclude with a, with, a, with a hopeful promise. Verse 16, 17. It says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. This gives us another little insight in just a second. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now remember, these saints were saved out of the tribulation period, right? They had been saved, but they had also suffered with everyone else on the earth. They weren't experienced wrath. But they were experiencing the wrath of the creation. Isn't that what's taking place here? Isn't he redeeming his creation? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we found that out. We found that out in our study. So, so just because they turned to the Lord doesn't mean that they were sheltered from the horrors of the days. I mean... In, in fact, their faith in Jesus Christ might have made their lives even more miserable here on earth. I mean, remember, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. Right? So, so we're seeing people who are martyred throughout the years of tribulation. And we're told several things about their past and about, about, about what they can do and what they can experience in heaven, what they're going to experience in heaven. Well, first thing they're going to experience is there'll be no more, I alliterated this, there'll be no more famished desires. The Bible said they shall hunger no more. Remember the, fa- remember, remember the famines we talked about in Revelation chapter 6? The, the horse of famine. We're, we're also told that the Antichrist will require people to wear a mark in their bodies before they can buy or sell. That's Revelation chapter 13. So, so, because of their faith, 
they will refuse the mark of the beast. We, we, we know that. Revelation 20, they're glorified, and it says they didn't receive the mark in their forehead or their hand. So it tells us that. So, so they didn't receive the mark. And the Bible also says their refusal, their refusal to their refusal to not get the mark will be death. Right around verse 15 of chapter 13. It would be death, but, but we're told in heaven that the Lamb of God will feed them. Amen, friend. He'll feed them. There, there'll be no more hunger and glory. There'll be no more. They're home and they'll be very well cared for there. Hallelujah, friend. No more famished desires. They're eating a little farther and said, Neither thirst no more. There will be no more frantic droughts. Amen. There'll be no more frantic droughts. Uh, we're told that the waters of the earth throughout the tribulation will turn to blood. Try it. And it'll be unfit to drink during the tribulation. We'll find that out next chapter. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. The Bible says, And the second angel sounded, and it was as a great mountain burning with fire, cast the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. I mean, as a result, the people of the earth will be thirsty, don't you think? They'll be thirsty, but in heaven, they're, they're, they're going to be led to fountains of living water. Uh, um, not by me and not by you, but by the Lamb. Uh, the Lamb's going to lead them there. They'll be, they'll be completely satisfied there. There'll be no more frantic droughts. There'll be no more frequent, uh, there'll be no more frequent difficulties. Now, the Bible says, Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. And then you say, what in the world does that have anything to do? Well, the references to the sun and the heat remind us of the tribulation period. I mean, we can look at that. The tribulation period will be a period of, 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 of intense physical suffering. It will be some serious suffering. And, and the redeemed saints of God will not be re- immune from the effects of God's judgment upon nature. Just, they just won't. We must remember, as I said, it's not chronological. Revelation chapter number 16. Let's turn there. I'm almost done, I promise. Revelation chapter 16, verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given in him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name that blasph- and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over the plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. I believe that's something along the lines of being an intensity of the sun. The heat will be hotter. will be hotter and therefore there'll be pain and there'll be agony and they will literally chew their tongues in pain and agony. I mean, think about it. But, but in heaven, none of those things hurt them. None of those things hurt them. It won't be S-U-N up there. It'll be S-O-N. He'll be doing all things for them. Amen. It won't be allowed to follow them there. Hallelujah. No more frequent difficulties. Lastly, we see no more futile, hopeless despair. The Bible says, For the Lamb of Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Imagine all they've seen. Imagine all they've suffered through. Imagine all that they've done because of their faith. They saw things they shouldn't have had to see. Well, I ain't going to say that. They saw things. They suffered a lot. It was all for the sake of the Scriptures and the Savior. It was all for those sake. And their hearts have been broken and their eyes have been wet with tears. I bet you they're all with, with tears. But the Lamb of God, God Himself, is going to wipe them away. Hallelujah. He's going to wipe them away. And there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more of those things. He will comfort them. He'll give them rest, peace, blessing all along the way. And by the way, friend, these blessings are for us too. You say, well, these blessings don't reference us. No, but Revelation chapter 21 does. In Revelation chapter 21, I think, it's verse number 4. The Bible says God himself shall wipe away their tears. It says there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more any of those things. Hunger, thirst, all those things. It covers them all. And I say bless his name tonight.
That's my God. Amen. Amen. That's my God. He, he's still saving souls in the paws of the punishment. He's still saving. He's still remembering mercy in wrath. And for, I, I praise Him that He reaches down in grace to call all sinners to Him that He might save them. And we ought to praise His name tonight for His saving power. Amen. We ought to praise And if you're saved, you, you, if you're saved tonight, you will see this event one day. You'll see this happen one day. You will. If you're not saved, you'll not see it at all. Internet crowd, are you saved today? Are you saved today? Have you thanked him for saving you? Man, I'm thankful I'm saved today. I'm thankful I'm saved. And whatever the need is tonight, thank God this is the mercy within the wrath. Thank you for listening. You stand, Lord. We do love you. We thank you for all that you do. I ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, please help us, Lord, as we go throughout the rest of our time. Lord, keep everybody safe when we're out home. Thank you, Lord, for being in the soul-saving business. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do, your faithfulness. Lord, thank you, God, for how you've been there. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Lord, thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sins. Lord, I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary. Lord, thanks for those old, something for those Old Testament saints to picture and to, to look forward to. Lord, I'm thankful I, I can look back at it, Lord, and have faith in the fact that it did take place. Lord, and I understand, Lord, my, my, my sinful condition, Lord. I'm thankful, God, that you saved me. Thankful, Lord, for that. And I ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, to please help us tonight. Lord, to honor you, to thank you, God, for your goodness and how you've helped us. Lord, we're grateful. And I ask you, God, to please help us throughout the rest of the night. Keep us safe when we're at home. In Jesus' name.